Um, I'm excited to talk about this. On Thanksgiving weekend, we typically interact with family. And even if you didn't go visit your family, some of you, your family's on the other side of the world. Uh, maybe it feels like they're on the other side of the world. Maybe they're in New Jersey, but you, like, like there's, maybe there's, you know, I don't know. But if, if, if maybe you went away this weekend, you came back, or you're watching from those places right now. We're kind of in relationships. And, and without family involved, you got work relationships, maybe a roommate, um, other people that you you engage with. and if you deal with people, you will experience conflict. You will experience things that aren't that peaceful. And, and you know, if you're like me, when we go to visit family, usually my wife and I are having conversations about the upcoming conflict that we anticipate to be had. And, you know, like, so that's just kind of one of those things that, you know, you know, the joke is, you know, my work would be, my job would be great if it weren't for the people. You know, the, the job would be great if it weren't for the customers. Like, just people bring uh, interesting things to our life. And so how do we engage that? And so it's something that I want to encourage us to understand as a habit of our life to be people who pursue peace. To pursue peace. Now, one interesting thing is when we think about peace in our lives and peace at home or whatever that may be, uh, you know, maybe it's, you, you would describe those environments either they're characterized by one or the other. Either it's characterized by conflict or it's characterized by peace. You know, if you go to visit family, there's always that one person, usually that one person that are like, that's the crazy one in the family, right? And if you've ever wondered who that is or you couldn't identify that, there's a chance maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. But, you know, like we, we always tense up. Like, how do you engage these things? Um, well, one of the ways is we have to learn to understand that peace isn't the absence of conflict. It isn't actually the absence of conflict. And we'll jump into that in a little bit. We have to learn to make it a habit. I, we've done this as parents. My wife and I, we have three children, and so and they're all really close together in age. And so we just had a lot of interesting scenarios. And I was sharing the story of somebody recently where we, we learned, we decided to teach them to engage in conflict at an early age. So at like three years old, they would get upset and they would run to me. They'd run in and be like, he did this or she did this to me. And they come to me to be the adjudicator to say, okay, stop doing that. And so they can have a win and they can get their toy. It's always about a toy. It's always about something. And so, and so we would come in and we would make them go work it out with each other. At three years old, I'm not kidding. We started to do this. And it was all we could do not to almost laugh and snicker because it was the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. They would run to each other and they would try to work it out and it would be gibberish. It would literally be gibberish. Even they could say words, but that's all they could do. So they would just say words that they knew to each other and try to work it out. And then we would eventually somebody would need to apologize or whatever. But it was the most unbelievable thing to see three-year-olds trying to work out conflict with one another. And I don't think they understand. They think they do. And it's amazing. And so they eventually knew. They would come to us as they got older. And the first thing they would say is, you need to go and work it out. And they'd go, <sighs> like they just, they, it's, but it created this habit and it helped teach them conflict. And now we see this working out in even in their classrooms. We'll hear a teacher say, uh, this, this, this child, one of, one of our kids will help, help bring peace or help engage that. And so it's a habit we have to develop. But this is an important principle many times that we miss, that we miss. And it's not easy to do, 
Because people hurt us, and we've hurt them. So how do you forgive them? There's past grudges. There's all these experiences. And so it's not easy to do that. And so I just want to introduce this one principle. And there's obviously many others when it comes to making peace. But I, there's an amazing passage of Scripture found in Matthew 5. And it's what we've now called the Beatitudes. And Jesus begins to step in and say all these statements that are incredibly phenomenal. And in the culture of the time, they were like, they were massive statements. They, they, they would have shocked people. And the culture he was in, and if you've been with us, we talked about the Ten Commandment culture. That's the series we just came out of, was this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type of culture that this means this. But they turned it, you know, they made it so harsh with one another that that was kind of the world that they lived in. And the culture was also incredibly harsh as well. Just the Roman culture that they lived in at the time. Lots of death. Very brutal. And he stepped in and began to make these statements of the Beatitudes, like, blessed are the pure in spirit. Blessed are those who struggle. Blessed are those who, who mourn. All these things that felt incredibly opposite. And then he says this statement, and we can put this up. This is found in Matthew 5, 9. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so there's an action, the, the, an action to doing that. And as we look into scripture, it's going to help us understand how that happens. But we need people in the world that can step in and make peace. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're struggling with this a little. <laughs> Like we've talked about, you know, you know, going to the polarities of every kind of subject. You know, everything feels so political in just about every arena that you engage in. And, you know, we, it's almost everybody runs to a partisan side. And so this is not easy. I'm not saying that you're just going to jump into work tomorrow and say, hey, let's jump into the worst political subject we can and let's make peace. That's, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but we can begin to practice it, and it starts with us. And so peace does not mean the absence of trouble. It does not mean the absence of trouble, and I think that's what we typically think of. And depending on your personality, that's really what you want. It's just we want the trouble to go away. Peace is really about seeking the highest good, seeking the highest good. And it comes from a place of conviction, of, of great morals and principles. That's really the foundation of which we stand upon is so important. And what we want to do and what everything around us is saying to us and teaching to us and what we kind of naturally are supposed to do is say, I have a right to be angry. And it's not saying that you can't be angry and you can't, all this stuff. But we can begin to say, I have a right to be offended. Or we'll say, I have a right to be hurt. And we want to live in that way. And it's kind of true, these statements, if you've been hurt, but we're constantly hearing that and pushing us to these moments. I have a right to, and we fill in the blank. But all of these statements is putting ourself first. It's putting ourself first. And if, and if you remember, if you're with us the last couple of weeks, I've talked about how when we are selfish, that is the very thing that leads to conflict in just about every 
problem or major conflict you see in the world roots back to some form of selfishness. And so when it comes to making peace, when you put yourself first, that is to put peace last. When we put ourselves first, it is putting peace last. And you can just take that statement and say, and just go throughout the week and observe the world and just think about it. And you'll, you'll begin to see it. You'll begin to see how it leads us to this. We put ourselves first. It puts peace last. And so if you are a follower of Christ, a Christ follower, as we engage this, we look at his words where he says, blessed are the peacemakers. We are learning to let Christ lead us. We are learning to let Christ lead us. He is the one that's going to help us engage this in our lives. This is so important for you. If you have a family, it's so important for you to begin to develop this culture yourself. If you live with roommates, right, if you, if you want to be in a significant relationship one day, whatever that may be, this is something that we're going to need to do. And to really have the strength, we want to let Christ lead us. So I just want to have that picture in our mind. He becomes our driving force. Because at some point, eventually, you're going to need to step into a, a time and a conversation and, 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 and to engage with someone where you don't want to. For me, that's, that's true for me, whether it's with my wife. I know if you guys know, know my wife, Aaron, I know it's really hard to believe that we would engage in conflict and I would need to say something, but we do. Part of being married is to step up with one another. And there's a lot for her to tell me about, and I know she holds back on it. And eventually I'll say, hey, what about, and she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so she's very good. But at some point we have to do this. And so Christ needs to be our driving force with this. So we are learning to let Christ lead us. And that means we are going to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacemakers, we're going to make peace not be peacekeepers. Now, this is, you know, this is just how I'm defining it today. So you, you know, in your mind, you peacekeeper could mean peacemaker, but I just we just need to have something to differentiate the two. So let's start with peacekeepers. Peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Now, sometimes this is good, right? Let's like a referee steps into a ball game, they, you know, they're just like. Stop it. Let's just, you know, next down, next play. You know, but peacekeepers often avoid conflict to keep the peace. Let's just get along. Let's not get too close. Let's call a truce. But if we do that all the time, the issue is never actually resolved. And so things are just simmering underneath. We've experienced that, right? And by the way, this is one of these things that's really, really, really easy as I talk about it. Think about the other person. If you have somebody sitting next to you today, it's really easy to think about that. I want to encourage you to think about yourself today as much as possible. But, but we begin to think similar, and eventually you explode. And we wonder, where did that come from? So peacekeepers often avoid conflict. And this, is, this comes out and plays out in many different forms. 
when we think peace, many times is just making someone else happy, or we think peace is making me happy. The problem is we're selfish. I've mentioned that, right? And so I'm not trying to make myself happy. And I, 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 like, I'm not always fulfilled. And I just have emotions. And I have all these different things. And, and, and as, as much as when I try to pursue my happiness as a forefront of all the time, I'm just, it's an appetite. And I'm never satisfied. And the interesting thing is many times it makes you more angry. And you don't know how the other person is going to be. And so if you're trying to make your child happy all the time, they're not going to be happy all the time. It's impossible. It's impossible. And so the irony is, as we try to make happiness be a priority, the opposite begins to happen. And we think peace is about making them happy. What we're really pursuing is peace in the moment. But we're sacrificing a, a, a deeper peace in the long run. We often avoid conflict. So if you're a parent, we don't want to say the word, this is a bad word, it feels like, the word no. <laughs> because that, for you in the moment, actually breaks the peace. Nobody's happy. If your child's hap not happy and everything's happening, then you're not happy. The whole thing, like, how in the world we don't want to do that? So it seems opposite to break the peace. But that's the very thing that we need. We are learning to make peace. And so we need to be careful what we make, what we put at the top as the priority. In the long run, we're losing peace. So peacemakers, peacemakers embrace conflict to make peace. It is for the actual purpose of peace that we engage, embrace, conflict. Now that, for some of you, is the worst thing I can say because just personality-wise, some of you some of you love this. You're like, let's bring it on. I'm ready to engage. I love conflict. You're like, that's why I'm a lawyer or it's why I'm a this or why, like, like, like it's why you're on the trading floor. It's like there's these things where you're just, you love it. I'm typically someone who does that. It, 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 I'm, I'm really complicated, so I'm not always that way either, but you know, um, and then other of you shrink back, and, and there's there's hurt from the past that affects this. In my own marriage, my wife and I figured out early on that I typically like lean in and say a lot, and she pulls back and says hardly anything. And man, like it's taken us many, many years to learn how to do this. And so when I say when we learn to be a peacemaker, this isn't going to happen overnight, but we've made a commitment to pursue this. And that's actually, by the way, the beauty of marriage. The beauty of marriage and God's design is that he brings us together and it makes us work things out. But he's actually, he's actually changing who we are for the good if we allow it. Conflict is a part of a good marriage and learning how to deal with that. And we need help. Like we need help. That's why we have church family. That's why we have counselors. And Aaron and I have engaged that together. And so we're learning to embrace conflict. That doesn't mean that we're going to embrace yelling and screaming at one another and all these different things. But we're learning to engage. Jesus was someone who lived that out as an example. He was One of his names is the Prince of Peace. On the Christmas season, we read out of Isaiah where it talks about the names 
of Christ. And so we have Emmanuel, God with us. We have, he's the Prince of Peace. And so if we're letting Christ lead us, that means a Christ-led home isn't a conflict-free family. And I'm not just talking about families. This is all of us here. A Christ-led person, apartment, workplace, whatever, is, it isn't in the absence of conflict. No. We are willing to say no. And we are willing to receive what someone else is saying. So listen. That's not easy. Listen to this incredible passage out of Romans 12. It says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. I love that statement. As far as it depends on you, if it's possible, there is an action for us. If we can step in and do this, we want to lead out. It goes on to say in verse 21 of Romans 12, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with all right, so how do we do this? What do peacemakers do? Well, let me quickly walk through three things for you. And I'll have one statement in the middle of those three things, but here we go. This is One is to tell the truth in love. This is what we've seen in scriptures as we've understood Christ's teachings. This is what has come out to us. We tell the truth in love. We learn to say what we need to say. I tell my children, you should not do that. I tell them the truth because I love them. It's so key. I want you to listen to this scripture passage. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And I'm not going to put the words up until verse 15. But I just want you to listen to this. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. And there are five things here. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. These are things he's gifted us with. We're experiencing all those today in different ways. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This is what we're serving and doing today. We want to build one another up. It says this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is this, it speaks to this action that happens within a church family that begins to unify us together. And it says that this is a process. Because it continues on, it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. So Paul here writing this calls us immature. <laughs> He's saying, you've got some work to do, okay? He says, we won't be tossed. He says, we won't be immature like you. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We see that phrase mentioned in other scripture passages as well. We're just, every new thing, everything that comes about, everything that you hear, our new thing and statement and culture just, just flings us all over the place. No, it begins to make us stable. We can with, withstand the winds and the changes that happen. It says, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And it says this, instead, this is Ephesians 4.15, instead, we will speak the truth in love. 
growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. We have to speak to one another. Scriptures are full of statements, what we call the one another statements. We have to work to build up one another. He goes on to say, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In every instance where we step in to make peace. When it's done properly, truth in love is done with the future in mind. That when we take the steps, we know it brings about unity, joy, peace. It says we will be mature. It helps us to grow. It makes us healthy and full of love. In Christ's pursuit of you, he desires this for your part, for your relationships. Now, you can't control your co-workers, your parents. You can't control you. I love, like, the pictures we have of this, this Greg's story. It's this picture of God's work. When we engage in his body, when we follow him, there's so many people who have been faithful to start that organization and churches that have been behind them and all the, like you see this work happening. It's what, it's what God loves to do. We couldn't, they couldn't change his circumstances. But God can do a work in our hearts. If you have children, you need to think about who they are becoming. My wife and I, when we discipline them, we don't punish them, we discipline them. Discipline is looking to their future and who they are becoming. And that gives us the strength to make decisions. And the crazy thing is, it makes them happy. It brings them security because they don't know. They need someone to point them to what is right. To point them to what will not lead them to their destruction, but will lead them to peace and happiness. We say, go to bed because it's important for you. We say, don't lie because it destroys you and it destroys others. And when I discipline them, I say to them, I was like, one day you will make decisions on your own. You're going to experience a consequence and it's going to hurt. You need to know that that's true. I used to say that to them, remember at three years old? With blank stare right back, and I just kept saying it, and I kept saying it, and kept saying it. I used to, we used to make decisions. They would lose toys, and my wife would be miserable all day. She worked from home, and she's like, "This is awful." And I was like, "Okay, keep up the work, because we are sewing, 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 and it would lead to peace. It would lead to peace." And the same is true of us. Our Father knows what we need. He will lead you if you allow him. You speak the truth in love. I want you to hear, to see this. This is, and we'll, we'll quickly walk through the two other things. The peace, we'll put this up, takes work. Peace takes strength. 
It takes conviction and resolve. Strength and resolve are like the same word, right? But you, but it's different. Like it, it, it's work. Peace is work. Peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the people who keep quiet and shut up and just sit there. No, like, like we have to work to make peace, and it's not easy to do. Peace takes work, strength, conviction, and resolve. It's got to come from a deep place. That's why Christ needs to lead us. We are learning to follow him. You know, speak the truth in love. The second thing is, and you've heard this and you know this, but apologize when you are wrong. Apologize when you're wrong. That means you're willing to listen. Willing to listen. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Jesus came and showed us while we have physical issues that are a result of sin, we have a greater thing, sin, a problem between us and between God. And we want to continue to practice working it out with one another. We apologize when we are wrong and we learn to listen and receive what someone is saying. That is one of the hardest things to do. When it comes to being a peacemaker, there is responsibility for you to learn to do this. You can say phrases like, help me understand. And like I said, you want to make this a principle for you and to learn how to do this. If you're in a relationship with someone where this comes up a lot, you're going to have to work to do this. Peace takes work. And we're learning to apologize and take the blame, right? So. It's not easy. So remorse is saying, I'm sorry I got caught. Oops, I didn't mean to see that, right? When we, say, when we make a mistake, I'm sorry is, is for mistakes. Will you forgive me is for sin, break. Repentance is saying, I'm sorry for this specific thing. That's the hardest one. I, yeah, I did this. Yeah, I broke this. I lied to you. I screamed, I'm sorry about that. Like, we get specific, it's not easy. You know, learn to apologize when we're wrong. And the third thing is we want to learn to forgive and let go. Forgive and let go. The one real reason that we can forgive is because Christ did it first. Because he forgave us, we can be forgiven. What's amazing is everything that Christ did, when you begin to do that yourself, you begin to experience it in an incredible way. We didn't deserve. You guys remember this teaching we talked about the beautiful exchange? He got what we deserved, and we got what he deserved, which was life, eternal, acceptance by God, all that. We get his forgiveness. And some of you might say today, I can't. How can I, how do I forgive? You've, you've experienced significant betrayal, maybe spousal adultery, or you've suffered abuse, or someone just made you mad. They took the last leg of the turkey, I don't know. Nobody likes turkey anymore, so I don't know if that's appropriate. Uh, I like turkey. That's why I cook it right. Uh, how do we forgive? Because Christ did it. We can do it because he did it. We learn to let him have the outcome. 
and you let go of the burden. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If, it says, If any of you has a grievance against someone. And this is the key. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're going to talk about that in detail in the Christmas season. We're going to talk about how when Christ came, he began to give, give us recipes and unlock these recipes for life. But this is one of them. Forgive as God forgave you. And the only reason you can do that is because Jesus has promised, God has promised to us that, that no one can hurt you and get away with it. And his death proves that, that someone had to pay a penalty. He took that. We need someone who is just, 100% just and loving. And that means that you can give it to God, even if the person has never done something to re you know, reconcile the relationship. That will have control over you for life. It's not easy to do. But we want to learn to let God lead you. In your relationships with one another, forgiveness is incredibly important. If you are in a marriage, forgiveness is incredibly important. We want to learn to let go and move forward. Jesus showed us that it was worth it. And so we want to trust him and do the same. Your family and your relationships are worth it. As far as it depends upon you, you can do this. We begin to project this into our world, and people will ask questions. How did this happen? We need examples of people that, that practice this. And we're not going to get it right. We're going to mess up, and that's okay. Let's apologize. We're going to make peace and move forward. We're, we want to experience that. Peace. We're never going to get it right, but we want to try and be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Wouldn't it be great if, if God's followers, Christ's followers, people said, I, I think that's who they are. I recognize them because of this. How incredible is that? Do you have unresolved conflict? Well, when you experience this, three things. Tell the truth in love. It's not easy to do. Apologize when you are wrong. Forgive and let go. Remember, peace takes work, strength, conviction, and resolve. It's a lifelong thing. This isn't one thing you do, then I practice that and I'm done. This is a way of life. And I want to encourage you. We are here to come alongside you and to encourage you in this. I'm here for you. We're here for your marriages. We're here for your relationships with parents or others. You're not alone in this. You have one another and you've got Christ. It is a way of life. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your words to us. God, I thank you for how profound a simple statement can be. And as we see your life worked out and others that knew you teach us, we understand more and more. I pray today for our relationships that you would give us the strength to take these steps and trust 
May we experience peace in a world that has no clue how to engage it. We thank you and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.